Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thanks so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day and kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend. We appreciate you being with us today. A deadly weekend with the storms that uh, hit several states. We'll be talking weather with DTN meteorologist John Baranek. Uh, Just a terrifying storm that uh, moved across uh, several states uh, over the weekend, and our hearts uh, prayers go out to all those uh, impacted by those terrible storms so we'll get the very latest on that also we'll talk markets today kind of a uh, uneventful shall we say report came out last week naomi bloom with total farm marketing will join us on the program today to kind of talk about that and where we go here the rest of the year and into 2022 and the united soybean board has a new chairman ralph lott from new york we'll talk with him and uh, find out what his goals are for the coming year all that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start it off, check in uh, with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, how are you? You know what, Mike? Anytime my jackrabbits and my Packers lose in the same weekend, it's it's hard to keep a smile off my face. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> I understand. My Cowboys gave me a birthday present yesterday. I was very happy about that. They tried to take it away. I thought they were going to take it away from me, but they, they let me keep it. They at did the their end, best. So I, they really did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of drama here as we head towards the holiday break. Will the uh, Build Back Better plan that the Biden administration is pushing get passed or not? What are your thoughts? Well, I know that's something that uh, President Joe Biden plans to discuss with uh, Senator Joe Manchin today. And he's really uh, kind of the most important man in Washington right now as they try and figure out the path forward for this legislation. Uh, he has really expressed concerns about the potential for this to kind of uh, raise those inflation pressures that we're seeing on the economy. You know, we saw some fresh numbers last week that said inflation's up about 6.8% on uh, kind of the broader consumer price index as well as groceries uh, over the last year. And so obviously that's not uh, that's not a figure you can shake a stick at. And when you're looking at infusing, you know, all of this money into the economy, uh, obviously if you're a left-leaning Democrat, you say that these are things that are going to help consumers deal with inflation. If you're uh, anything other than a left-leaning Democrat, you say it's going to make inflation worse. And so... Uh, really, it's going to be some very high stakes behind the scenes negotiations between the president, congressional Democrats, and uh, Senator Joe Manchin, because uh, basically with the nature of this 50-50 Senate, if he doesn't give uh, something a gold star and, and his uh, his approval, it's not passing. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is they're not getting any Republican votes on this, so they really need his support. Yeah, if his concern is truly inflation, as is for many of us, the concern about inflation, if that's really his concern, those numbers, as you pointed out, uh, would not to make him vote for it. So we'll we'll see what happens there and where this goes from here. Meanwhile, uh, still reaction to the biofuels news. It seems mixed at best. Uh, some things in there that the biofuels industry happy about with the announcements on RVO levels, but some things they're not happy about. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is refusing to really defend E15 sales year-round. Yeah, and that's something that we we knew that there was going to be kind of a showdown between some of these biofuels groups and the uh, Biden administration, just given the fact that we did see that court case from earlier this year that struck down the Trump administration's action on this front. And so really this is a, they're, they're kind of back to the drawing board that they were in under the Obama administration, the Bush administration really to a certain extent, uh, looking to add those E15 sales and they're going back to the uh, you know the argument that they've they've made that they you know this is something that can be done administratively. Really, I think anyone in the biofuel sector will say that you know legally their best approach is to put, get something across Capitol Hill. Practically, that's going to be almost impossible to make happen just with the, all the various moving parts on on in Congress and some of the various changes in terms of what folks on Capitol Hill think about biofuels just on a, on a given day. Really, yeah, just again. Uh cannot get total support from an administration on biofuels. Here's another case of it. Um, Here we go, getting ready for 2022. It looks like uh, we're going to start farm bill hearings. Yeah, I mean, I think we've uh, we had the opportunity to talk uh, tail end of last week with the House Ag Committee Chair David Scott. Obviously, he's going to be leading the the, the House Committee of uh, or the House part of that oversight, something that he said is going to begin in January. 
I know that was a bit of a difference of opinion between him and uh, Ranking Member Glenn Thompson. Congressman Thompson wanted to start those hearings already this year. But I think we, if we can really expect that they're going to start picking up some of those things in earnest. And keep in mind, if this Build Back Better legislation passes, that's you know, potentially a ton of new money that some say will be able to be incorporated into the Farm Bill, a lot of new money that could be directed toward conservation. So whether or not that bill passes is going to have a big, big uh, impact on Farm Bill oversight, Farm Bill writing. Uh, a lot of people on the Ag Committee is closely watching that legislation and how it's going to impact the next Farm Bill. So here's now what happens every time a farm bill comes up. We get a lot of predictions, a lot of talk about let's get it done early, and we'll wind up being lucky if it's done on time. Yeah, especially with the the way that the midterm elections are looking. I mean, if you're a congressional Republican, I'm not sure what your incentive is to sign off on getting a farm bill done early, frankly. Uh, I think this is something that we're going to see uh, pushed into 2023 once we know how those uh, November midterm elections are going to shake out who's actually going to be in control of the ag committees you know should the democrats keep both chambers of congress which would be a, a tall order at this point um you know that that might uh, you know give folks a little bit more reason a little bit more incentive to work on something early but if it looks like the republicans are going to take control of either the house or the senate which i mean they have a chance to do both realistically uh that that really changes the political calculus yeah, because their approach to the farm bill will be different than the Dem- Democrats' approach to the farm bill. And as you said, you've got to figure in all this money, however much gets pumped in here, and all these climate programs and things like that, because that's going to impact the farm bill. Yeah, well, and I'd say on about 80 or 90 percent of the farm bill, really, I think that the two parties are, are in a lot of agreement. I mean, they, they want to see a lot of money pumped into things like ag research. You know, they, they, in all reality, they want to see farmers supported. They want to see nutrition programs, you know, continue to exist. It's some of the, the, the specific details on things like SNAP, on things like WIC, on things like conservation spending, where the two parties will kind of be, be at odds. And obviously, those are very important things that they're going to have to hash out here in this next, you know, year and a half, two years before they, uh, before they send a new farm bill potentially to the president's desk. Well, history tells us SNAP alone will delay getting the farm bill done. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the last two times that they've tried to pass the farm bill across the House floor on the first time, uh, it's it's gone down largely due to concerns about SNAP among congressional Republicans. And so uh, I I certainly don't see that getting uh, those concerns getting any quieter anytime soon, especially when we look at the role that nutrition programs have played in just kind of the American economy the last couple of years uh, as we uh, get a lot of folks through the pandemic. uh, SNAP played a big role in that for, uh, for a big, big chunk of people. And, of course, it it always gets political and how the program is administered, and uh, I'm sure it will again. Spencer, always good to talk with you. Thanks so much for being with us this week. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks. Take care. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Up next, weather, unfortunately, very much in the news over the weekend with those deadly tornadoes and storms that hit several states, leaving much devastation and death uh, over the weekend. We're going to get the very latest on on just this huge kind of a supercell that hit and uh, stayed on the ground for a long time, covering a lot of miles. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, up next to talk about that and our weather moving forward for the rest of this year and to start 2022. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, let's start with the things that stand out to you on the positive side from this week's announcement. Well, I think the the, the good things that we knew about but that got announced at this point were the $700 million in aid to ethanol plants for pandemic relief. We knew that was happening. We just didn't know when it would be announced, and I think we still don't know the details, so it kind of looks like something that they decided to announced so that they could soften the blow of the other stuff that came. We'll see what the what the details are, but that's good. And, and USDA has been very helpful to us. And then they also announced that there would be another $100 million in um, infrastructure grant for stations to put in 
equipment for higher blends. So that can be useful too. In both cases, I think, again, USDA has always been very helpful to us. And, and you know, in one respect, we knew the one thing was coming, the other one we hoped would. So that, that's probably the best news of all. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, unfortunately, we have a lot of weather news to talk about today with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, thank you for joining us. Let's talk about these deadly storms that hit over the weekend, multiple states. It's a huge system. I mean, we had some really warm weather for December, and then here this popped up. How much warning was there? Uh, Actually, quite a bit. It was actually significant. Um, If you go back to Wednesday, the Storm Prediction Center was already talking about the possibility of nighttime tornadoes in this area um, for, for Friday night, so at least two days. They put up uh, tornado warnings in uh, uh, Friday afternoon. So, I mean, the area got plenty of warning, but that doesn't mean everybody heard it. Um, You know, we saw, you know, some unprecedented tornadoes really move through. One was the long track tornado that, you know, got a whole lot of media attention here. The one uh, basically went from Northeast Arkansas all the way through Central Kentucky. If it was a continuous tornado, along that entire damage path, and it'll take several days, maybe weeks, for all the National Weather Service offices to kind of figure that out. But if it was a continuous track tornado, it would be the longest track tornado in uh, recorded history here in the U.S. So um, a really devastating one as well. You know, and we've all heard about what happened in Mayfield, Kentucky, and, and uh, you know, the plants that were destroyed along that line, you know, hundreds of people dying. It's, um, but it wasn't just that one. We had several others. We had one go through uh, just north of St. Louis and into central Illinois. We had a couple other ones that went through Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, the region reports in Indiana and Ohio. So, um, and not only tornadoes, but there was lots of wind damage as well. So there was a lot of um, you know, severe weather and preferred to occur here in the middle of December is unusual, right. but you know, it just goes to show us that you know, severe weather can happen at any time of day any time of year, just about anywhere in the country. So we always have to be aware. Yeah, I was going to ask you, give us some perspective on not only the length and size of this, how it compares with other storms in the past, but the timing of it to happen here in December. Yeah, December, usually, you know, if we get 
severe weather is usually close to the Gulf of Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, southern Mississippi, Alabama. Uh, those areas uh, are, are more prone to get it, you know, when severe weather happens. And even then, it's, it's, it's fairly infrequent. But, um, you know, to get it into the Mid-South, into the Midwest is, you know, it's hard to do. You have to get a whole bunch of warm temperatures that far north. And, you know, usually we're not talking about that in December. Usually we're on a downtrend, not an uptrend. So, um, you know, it, it just goes to show kind of how December has, has, has really been so far this month. You know, lots of ups and downs. Um, you mentioned that we had some nice warm temperatures out ahead of the system, and that really was the impetus and what fed all these storms that went through on Friday night. All right. So what's now behind it? What what do we have for this week ahead as far as weather? Well, the weather's not going to be any less wild. So um, we've got a, a huge storm system developing off the West Coast right now. We've got some good rainfall and, and precipitation out there in California, which really needs it. Um, and that's going to be slowly moving its way through the West over the next couple of days. Out ahead of that, temperatures are warming up really significantly. Um, we're going to have records uh, record high temperatures across southeast Nebraska and Iowa southward here on Wednesday. And it's going to be widespread records just getting blasted. We're going to have temperatures getting close to or, or exceeding 70 degrees uh, in portions of Iowa and Illinois. Um, you know, you're talking about the warmth ahead of the last system. This one's going to right. be even bigger. And that uh, system that moves in from the west is going to go through. Uh, you're going to have a bit of a different track than the last one did. So this one's going to go kind of through. Uh, Nebraska and through Minnesota, a little bit further northwest than it did last time. And it's not going to have the same punch southward as the last system did either. So uh, we're not expecting as much severe weather, but the system itself is going to be rather strong. And we've got already uh, strong uh, uh, high wind hazards going on across the plains and into the upper Midwest for this. Uh, Forecasters from the Weather Service are are predicting uh, wind gusts over 70 miles an hour in these areas so it's 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 going to be a, a big uh, punch of a system just not as widespread in the severe weather department so maybe not as bad but still everyone kind of leery after what just happened uh, when you get these temperatures this warm this time of year and uh, a storm system moving through so everyone should be uh should be on the on guard right i i would hope so um if, if you've been paying attention to what happened over the weekend I, I would hope that you would uh you know see kind of the, the writings on the wall for that just i don't think it's going to be as big of an event because we just won't have the moisture you know most of the action is going to be up over the central plains into the upper midwest and you know we just don't have the, the moisture that far northwest for this for the severe weather potential at least but again it, it's going to be a strong and impactful storm we're going to expect a, a nice band of snow along with this as well. So, you know, we, you know, what got lost in the weekend storm was the foot of snow that happened in a, in a wide band here from southern South Dakota and northern Nebraska all the way up into the UP of Michigan. Maybe it's just uh, biased by myself because I got the foot of snow. But, uh, you know, that was a big part of the storm system as well. And we're going to look at another uh, band of, of heavy snow that occurs on the backside of the system as well. We're talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. So, yeah, snow for some, the storms for others. As we head towards Christmas, I mean, when, what do you say at the end of the month? Does it kind of settle down, get more like December or, or more of this volatility? We, we're going to see volatility at least up until Christmas. Uh, our models kind of go through Christmas Day as being kind of the more reliable time period. Um, and we're going to see several systems move through. So after the one comes through in the middle of this week, a frontal boundary kind of hangs around from the southeastern plains up to the eastern Midwest. And uh, we'll see another storm system kind of push that further south here late this week and weekend. Another couple of systems moving through this weekend and the next week. And uh, we might be talking about another uh, a Christmas storm that might be a big significant one. You know, obviously, that's kind of far out in, in the distance. You know, as we talk next week, we'll have a better handle on whether or not that might come true. But it's something we're definitely watching. After that system moves through, though, it looks like we'll probably be on the cooler side of normal across much of the country. We'll have a better chance of pumping in some cooler air. Might not reach all the way down in the southeast. So if it, you know, if we get some warm temperatures still in the southeast with the cooler air up across the north central U.S., that again creates a nice boundary in between where storms like to track and uh, produce uh, some heavy precipitation events. So we could see that for the end of the month. 
Very active weather systems here at the end of the year. All right, uh, we always check on South America. What's happening there? So in Argentina over the weekend, they actually got some pretty good showers, and much more than I thought at least. Um, some widespread showers across Argentina that's starting to bleed its way northward into southern Brazil. Those uh, far southern states of, of Brazil there have been really, really dry over the last several weeks, and uh, as crops are getting into their reproductive stages, they're really thirsty for some moisture. They'll get it for a couple of days, and the showers won't be widespread. It'll be scattered, but uh, anything that happens uh, down there will be helpful for them. Uh, we'll see that uh, only for a couple of days, though, as uh, the area gets dry in the middle of the week and uh, likely going through the weekend and into next week as well. So uh, it's just going to be a brief shot. You might see some isolated showers over southern Argentina this weekend, but those don't look like they're going to make their way northward like they have been in, uh, in recent systems. So we're looking on a drier trend for Argentina and southern Brazil after we get through about Wednesday or so. Okay, let's wrap it up with a look at your uh, long-range forecast, how we start off 2022. Well, the month of January, you know, I think we're still going to be on active more or less um, across much of the corn belt here. I think we're still going to, if you average up the highs and the lows, we'll still be above normal in terms of, of temperatures. You get towards the Dakotas and into the Canadian prairies, we'll probably be on the colder side. And that sets up that storm track again uh, between the warmer temperatures uh, in the southeast and the cooler temperatures in the northwest where we get so several systems moving through uh, the, the middle part of the country. You know, if you're talking about the plains, though, they usually skip over with the heavy stuff. And uh, once you get over across the Mississippi River, I think we'll have better chances for above normal precipitation with all those systems moving through. Well, a lot going on here weather-wise at the end of the year. Yeah, winter, you know, usually we're talking about winter. Oh, yep, getting cold again, getting another snow event, you know, wait another week. Not this time. We're, we've got uh, quite the active pattern going through. Yep, everyone has to uh, stay up to date on this for sure. John, always good to talk with you, and uh, next week we'll get a better handle on that Christmas forecast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. You have yourself a great week. Take care. DTM meteorologist John Baranek. So, yeah. Keep an eye on uh, the weather. Uh, sounds like it's going to stay volatile here for a while. Up next, we'll talk markets with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Had a report out last week that didn't have much news in it. So what uh, are the mar markets most focused on now here at the end of the year? And we'll look ahead into 2022 as well. A lot of, a lot of guessing going on what's going to happen. We'll get the thoughts of Naomi Bloom. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise, We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Mexican demand and ethanol processor demand helped corn prices move higher last week. Processors are very profitable currently, and exports are running 10% ahead of the USDA annual forecast pace. Futures are heavy this morning as we head into the last full week of trade before the holiday. For the grain and oilseed sector this morning, March corn trading six and a half cent lower at 583 and a half cent. The May contract down six and a fraction at 585 and three quarters. For 
soybeans, a January contract trading 15 and a half cent lower at 12.52 and a quarter of a cent. The March contract down 14 and three quarters at 12.59 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat March down four and three quarters at 7.80 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March down three and a half cent at 8.02 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat March down eight and a fraction at 10.13 and a half cent. The May contract down eight and a half cent at 10.01 and a half cent. In cattle country, further weakness could take place this week if cash does not perform any better than last week. In fact, the expectation for cash this week is steady at best with the potential to see further weakness. The majority of last week's business took place on Wednesday and Thursday with just a little cleanup on Friday. Southern Live Trade had a full range of $138 to $140 mostly at that $140 mark. Generally $2 lower than the previous week's weighted average basis. Northern Dress Business had a full range of $217 to $221 mainly at $220 steady with the previous week's weighted average basis in Nebraska. For live cattle on the Board of Trade the December contract down 90 at 135.95 the February contract down 85 at 137.22 feeder cattle January down 42 at 165.45 the March contract up 10 at 165.40 for lean hogs February down 22 at 80.80 the April contract down 35 at 85.62 you're listening to AOA I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, welcome back. Um, we're going to talk markets here to start things off as uh, we're going to talk with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, report out last week, not a not a big newsmaker. Wasn't expected to be, was it? No, usually that December report is uh, pretty quiet in terms of information given on it. They usually, the USDA waits until the January report. That's the big one where they do the major adjustments if appropriate. And then trade really then uses that report to gear up for the rest of trade for the first quarter. So when you look at those kind of numbers, kind of setting this up now, what does the market focus on here the rest of the year? So for the rest of this year, we're looking at two things. We're going to keep an eye on South American weather. And then also, we're going to be keeping an eye on cash markets and base levels. So right now, with the South American weather, the reason that the grain markets are a little bit lower this morning is that the forecast last night for South America uh, put some better chances of rain in it. So they're still on the drier side. And if these rains don't materialize, the market will you know, be well supported and push on higher. But again, that's why we're down a little bit today. So prices for corn down and nickel, beans down 16, and we're just back down to some short-term moving averages on these charts. So this is great stuff for day traders to be picking up their nickels and dimes along the way. Uh, but again, not any big fresh news over the weekend, so still range-bound, range trading. And what we'll also want to keep an eye on is cash markets and basis levels into the end of the year. There's a lot of producers who have said that uh, they're wanting to wait until the first of the year to take new income and for tax purposes and things like that. So I want to watch those basis levels because we're already kind of expecting that there will be more farmer selling coming up. So if you're a farmer who's going to be selling, make sure you are really on top of your basis levels. Maybe see if you can do a basis contract to lock some of that attractive value in. 
ethanol plants have been pretty aggressive in their buying. That's been supportive of the corn market for a while now. Do you see that continuing into uh, the new year? I do see it continuing into the new year, but we're, of course, keeping an eye on energy prices. Uh, we're watching consumers as far as are we still moving and traveling throughout this country once the holidays are wrapped up. I would think with a lot of the schools you know, open full-time and, and parents traveling for sports and businesses reopening and, and just business travel, that the demand stays strong into the new year. But absolutely, we need to make sure that these ethanol plants right now, they have wonderful profit margins. So if that is going to be continuing, that should be supportive for grain prices going forward. And there still is talk that on the January USDA report that there should be an increase for corn use for ethanol on that report. Um, and that would keep the carryout levels just a little bit tighter and keeping the market supported as well. What about this big issue around demand for soy, oil, you know, renewable diesel, biodiesel, uh, battle over feedstocks? How do you see that playing out? Um, really important question. You know, if you add palm oil into the mix and, and, the, and the values for demand from not just the biofuel side of it, but from the, the food side of it and the food sector. And it's an, it's an ever-changing story. It's an evolving story. And I don't know the answer to it. And that's just the, the flat-out truth with it. You know, bean oil prices had that big push-up, you know, last year and, and push prices well, well higher, and now just for the last couple months, they've been starting to inch a little bit lower. So we do need to see some additional demand news. We want to see that increase in demand on upcoming USDA reports and then keeping an eye again on palm oil as that affects value of soybean oil also in the production in Southeast Asia. Talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Well, we always keep a close watch on what China is doing. Uh, we're, you know, coming to the end of the year, unknown what happens uh, with the trade deals after the first of the year. So does that uncertainty change things or does China just keep buying whatever they feel they need? Um, two answers. China, I think, in the short term continues to buy as needed. They, what we'll be seeing is are they going to start to be turning some of that business towards South America more as, you know, projecting when their harvest is going to be or does the United States still gain some of the business, especially if we see a pullback of prices. Like with this pullback today, do we see an export sale show up tomorrow morning? So that's something to be, an eye, to be aware of. Um, my thought is that China, for the most part, behaves themselves until the Olympics are done in later February. Interestingly enough, that would coincide with a seasonal rally where grain prices have that tendency to work higher into late January, early February, and then things kind of peak out. So during that seasonal peak, also coinciding with the Olympics, then once the Olympics are done, that'll be when I want to see what China does and how they react on a global scene. You know, sometimes it feels like China's unpredictable, but there is a lot of predictability in their patterns, right? Um, I would say predictability from the standpoint of they need to be importers of grain in certain responses, but what they what they have been doing is, you know, rather than buying huge amounts of corn, we see them spread things out and then they'll buy feed wheat or they'll start to go into sorghum or barley. And so they switch up the types of feed or grain that they're importing. But overall, the pattern is there where it's interesting to watch. Yeah, they're still needing grain and they're still needing to import. Um, but they try to be a little bit creative in how they camouflage their needs and what they're buying. Yeah, predictably unpredictable at times, I guess we could say. So what are you, what are you making of uh, the, the growing season, the conditions in, in South America and their prospects for a big crop? Well, they have the potential for the big crop, there's no question. But what I've been recently still hearing is that, you know, southern Brazil is warmer and drier, Argentina is still warmer and drier, and there's, you know, chances of rain, but if this doesn't materialize, that's it's not going to be great for production. And then begs the question, can you know, parts of Brazil that have great weather, are they able to offset the losses of crop um, for the places that are too dry? So it's still important to monitor that. And I'm very much personally interested in watching Argentina because of what they grow. It's used for the crush. And then they're the world's major exporter of soybean oil and soybean meal. So if they have production issues in Argentina, what then can happen is that the United States then is the beneficiary of that, as that we then become 
um, able to increase our exports of soybean meal and soybean oil, and so that would be great for our growers here. Well, that sounds familiar. Can the really good areas make up for areas that are too dry? It sounded like what we went through this year. <laughs> oh, doesn't it, though? Absolutely. <laughs> Same story, just, right? Just like it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this wheat market? It's been kind of a wild ride. You know, that wheat market, um, a few thoughts. You know, it had that triumphant rally higher, and it posted some pretty significant topping signals on charts right before Thanksgiving. Prices are down to the uptrending support line, and they're testing it. You know, on last week, Thursday, Friday, they closed below it. Today, we're trying to climb back above it. Wheat price is now positive this morning. If they can close above that uptrending line, that'll be really significant. Um, I think that we are hearing United States producers most likely going to be planting more wheat between winter wheat and spring wheat. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, where our future supply is going to be at. Is it going to be replenished enough? Um, is there still a fight for acres for spring wheat acres versus other crops grown in the Dakotas? Um, so that'll be something to watch. But again, I think for the short term, what we want to see is that wheat market get back into that uptrending line. Seasonally, this is a time of year where wheat does start to work higher um, as we head into the new year. So that is beneficial, but we have to keep an eye, of course, on global weather and things like that as well. Strength of the dollar, you always remind us to keep a close watch on that. Yes, and the Fed meeting is this week. So that's the other wild card in this whole thing. And so when you look at the value of the dollar along with the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, which measures and, and values uh, bushel baskets of commodities and kind of um, puts them into percentage purposes, we're still at this crossroads. And so the value of the dollar, is it going to break out to the upside or have a correction back lower? A lot of that depends on the Fed commentary this week. And of course, as we all know, the value of the dollar is so important to commodities. So that is one other major thing to be keeping a track on as we wrap up the 2021 going into the new year, because that'll be very important for price direction for grains in 2022. And this supply chain, the shipping issue, these ships going back to other countries without taking our products with them. Uh, I mean, that make, we talk a lot about creating demand, having demand, but we got to be able to deliver the products. Yeah, that's so important, too. So, you know, that's just a whole other wrinkle in everything. And so um, a lot of things need to get figured out here yet um, as we head into the new year. It just feels like we don't have a for sure understanding of where our supplies are at, especially with the corn. You know, I've heard me argue until I'm blue in the face about how I think old crop corn carryout is tighter than what USDA is letting on. But then we still have all this uncertainty about where U.S. acres are going to be at in the spring. So that's maybe why prices are just kind of consolidating and they're stuck in these ranges for right now. Uh, but remember, the more a market trades in a sideways pattern or a range-bound pattern, the, the bigger the price breakout is, we just don't know if the breakout is going to be higher or lower because we're waiting for these missing pieces of fundamentals to fall into place. Yeah, kind of holding our breath on that. Naomi, always good to talk with you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Well, the United Soybean Board has elected new officers. Their new chairman is Ralph Lott from New York. We'll talk with him next about his goals for the coming year. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Each month we get the uh, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Here once again, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer to break it down. Michael, thanks for joining us. Looks like the numbers are lower again this month. Yes, they are. The, the index dropped from 121 in October to 116 in November, and that's the lowest Ag Economy Barometer index since June of 2020. And so we've dropped quite a ways from the highs we saw this spring. In April, we were at close to 180 in terms of this index. And so and so some large drops again this month, both the index of future expectations and the index of current conditions dropped. So both of those sub-indices dropped. The index of future expectations is still higher than the index of current conditions, meaning that producers realize that 2021 is a pretty good year. There's a lot of concerns uh, related to where we're going in 2022. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. The United Soybean Board has elected new officers for the coming year, and the new chairman is Ralph Lott from New York. He joins us now. Ralph, thanks for being with us, and congratulations. 
Thank you very much. I look forward to this next year. Tell us a little bit about your farming operation in New York. We, uh, I farm my sons and my wife. We, uh, we farm about 3,500 acres. Uh, everything's been no-tilled since 1986. We uh, grow about 1,700 acres of soybeans and 1,500 acres of corn. And the last couple of years, we've started growing wheat again just to help with some rotation problems. And gives us, it frees us up in the summertime to put some tile and things like that on, in the ground if it's necessary. What part of New York do you farm in? We're in the Finger Lakes. Uh, if anybody looks at a big map or weather news maps at nighttime, sometimes the, the, you see our two lakes. I'm at the top side of the two biggest lakes. I'm halfway between Syracuse and Rochester. So a little different perspective, perhaps, than some of your Midwestern brethren uh, as you uh, look at the total picture for, for soybeans. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sort of out here in left field. We, uh, the people in the Midwest, I think, have a huge advantage over me because they live and breathe agriculture every day. Here in the Northeast, we're a little bit different. I mean, we still think agriculture, and we have everything here in, in central New York. Right there's vegetables, there's fruit, uh, we have wineries. I think there's 40 wineries in our county, breweries, uh, distilleries. So it's a, it's a huge tourism area. And that can be sort of a little bit of a drawback in the falls when you're trying to get big equipment down the road and, and there's tourists in here in a limousine or a tour bus that you sort of got to watch out for. We've learned to use the back roads and, and get around pretty good. What a great opportunity to, uh, to educate those consumers about agriculture. Yes, it is. I've got an event later this week to go over to Rhode Island. We're doing some work over there. We were in New York City last week. And, yeah, there's just a lot of people here that we can influence, I think, to, to benefit soy, and soy can benefit them as a bigger thing. We're talking with Ralph Lott from New York. He is the new chair of the United Soybean Board for this coming year. Ralph, what are your goals for this year ahead? Well, we, we're implementing new five-year strategic plans, so that's the main thing, to get that working. We, we had our meetings last week, so everybody got assigned their new action team. So it's, it's a little different. We've got a communication action team now, so we're going to be able to communicate to, the, to you guys. We can communicate to the farmers. We can, we can just educate a lot better with this new committee, and it's going to be represented from all the different groups on that committee. So, you know, just a lot of things new, the strategic plan. We're doing a... We're doing some proposals here. We're going to try to fund them here in the next month or so on some things that will form a good base for the soybean board going forward. To Maybe we can draw off of this base to do some better projects down the road. So just a lot of good things. I've got a really good board to work with this year, some good uh, EC team that we're going to we're gonna Zoom call later this week. Uh, we're going to set some things up for our January meeting that we have just the EC and just, just a lot of good things. Hopefully soybeans with prices where they are and yields is, in the United States like they were, farmers are going to do really well for a while yet. So we're looking forward to benefiting those farmers. An amazing amount of time you and your fellow directors put in uh, when you're on the United Soybean Board. A lot of meetings, a lot of work. Uh, you get a lot of information. You got a lot of different projects that are proposed to you. And then you, as a board, you make those decisions on which ones you choose to fund. And you have to look at which ways, which ones you choose that can give you the most uh, bang for the buck, basically, for those soybean checkoff dollars that are invested. Exactly. There's got to be return. I mean, not. it's just like farming. You're going to have some failures. We don't want to have too many. We want a lot of good projects to come forward. And I think last year we're funding 181 projects for this coming year. So that, that's a lot. But, you know, it takes that many sometimes to pick the really good ones out because, you, you never know where there might be a diamond in the rough someplace. And you, 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 you try to fund them and hopefully for the best here, and we, we'll see what comes of them. And so many areas, and you have a lot of successes in this, the new product development, uh, some new uses for soybeans, and you you work on, say, disease issues or something like that from an agronomic standpoint. I mean, there are a lot of different areas to go, and then you have to prioritize all that. You do, and and that's a toughie sometime prioritizing because different, you know, we all, the 78 directors, we're supposed to work as one, but, you know, you want to look back in your home state or your home county and, and, and benefit that somehow, but we're really pretty good about working all together to, to benefit soybeans, but there's er, almost everything you look at. You look at farm equipment, the plastics on, a lot of them have soybeans, asphalt, there's, there's all kinds of new additives to put on asphalt to make it last longer, there's concrete things, uh, shoes. It's just uh, unending, and I, and I think if we're really good about this, we can get it even into more products. And we talk about those new products. 
but you mentioned something that uh, is part of it too. Uh, not everyone are you going to hit a home run on. So you don't know that, but until you do the research and, and, and try something, you don't always know. You just have to uh, make the best decision you can based on the information that you have. And, and a big part of that is being the 78 directors from the 30 states. It gives us a perspective that most other organizations don't have or can't see. You know, we, we see a lot of the country. We see a lot of needs out there. And uh, that, that, that's really good. And as long as the farmers all speak up and get their word out there, we can, we can see a lot of projects and do a lot of, lot of good for soybean farmers. You're certainly involved in the transportation side of things, too. And uh, with the infrastructure funding for this coming year, that's a, that's a priority as well. That's right. We're going to do some studies again. I think it's Lock and Dam 25, and I'm not real familiar with that stuff because being from the Northeast, I, I've never been to a Lock and Dam out on the Mississippi River, flown over it a number of times, but never been to one. So that's one of my priorities is to go see a Lock and Dam someplace. But I believe it's Lock and Dam 25. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly where the location is, but they're going to be doing some infrastructure study work for that thing and, and to rebuild that. And we're working with a bunch of other organizations, Missouri, Illinois, different corn growers, soybean groups to help fund some of this stuff. So, yeah, there's the infrastructure is a big thing. It, the, the Internet, things like that, we need to make sure that farmers have the ability to, to use the information they generate or farm and get it to the right place and get it back to them in a form they can use. Well, Ralph, again, congratulations. Have a great year ahead. We've got to get you to a lock and dam here in the Midwest. We'll hope you get I'm, that done soon. Do that. So thanks, thanks a lot, and have a very happy holiday season and a great year ahead. Thank you very much. Happy Take care. Too. Ralph Lott from New York, the new chair of the United Soybean Board. That wraps it up for today. Mike Pearson will be with you tomorrow. Hope you'll join him. I'll be back on Wednesday right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Want to reduce your risk of developing cancer? A healthy diet can help. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. It's been proven that a healthy lifestyle and early detection can prevent nearly half of all cancer deaths. So eat right. Choose a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables every meal. Look for foods low in calories, fat, and sodium. And maintain a healthy weight. A registered dietitian nutritionist can help. Find one at eatright.org. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to OLI.org.